Hello and welcome. I'm Leila Gulen. I'm the co-host of Quantitative Investment Insights presented by Greenwich Quantitative Research. Greenwich Quantitative Research is a hedge fund based in Greenwich, Connecticut, focused on market-neutral quantitative investing in the Asia-Pacific region. I'm here with my co-host, Gene Riley. Gene is the founder and chief investment officer of Greenwich Quantitative Research. Gene has 30 years of experience trading and investing, including 19 years living and working in Asia. In terms of career highlights, Gene was a partner at Goldman Sachs and ran equity trading for them across the region. Gene also has substantial quantitative investing experience and more recently ran global quantitative trading for Merrill Lynch in New York. Our topic today is the Chinese onshore equity market suitability for quantitative market neutral investing. Well, Gene, it's great to have you. Why is this such an important topic? Layla, thanks for that kind introduction. It's really, I'm really excited to be speaking with you today. The question is a great question. I've been speaking to pension funds, endowments, and sovereign wealth funds over the last few years about our quantitative market neutral hedge fund product in Asia Pacific, which allocates over 30% to the Chinese A share market. We frequently get the question, how do you do that in China? People didn't think shorting stocks was possible in China. And it's a really understandable question. Shorting stock wasn't permitted for a very long time and the rules have only evolved in the last few years to permit short selling. We realized there was a lot of appetite for content on how the market in China has evolved. Well, I agree. And I think it's a topic of great interest for many investors. Perhaps before we dive into the discussion, we should talk about your time in Asia. When did you first move there? Uh, Leila, I moved to Japan in 1994, uh, pre-internet, pre-cell phone. When did you first visit China? Yeah, I went to China in uh, 1995 uh, in, you know, entirely a personal tourism capacity. Beijing was at that point all bicycles and low-rise buildings. Uh, it didn't look anything like what it would come to look like in recent years. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Uh, when did you first go back to China in a more professional capacity? It was 2004, and Hank Paulson, the former Treasury Secretary and then the CEO of Goldman Sachs, where I was a partner, was very focused on the Chinese opportunity. He visited China over 60 times and ultimately won approval for Goldman Sachs to set up the first international investment bank in China. That led to me being very involved in the planning and execution of an equity trading business in China. So if Goldman was the first investment bank in China, then you must have been one of the first American traders involved in trading Chinese equities. Yes, yes, I guess that's right. Yeah, so that gives you a lot of perspective. Uh, Putting politics aside, what's the importance of China to pension funds and endowment investors? Major global equity markets in terms of volume and market capitalization China is, uh, as of the fourth quarter of 2020, second to the U.S., both in stock market capitalization, 10 trillion versus 50 trillion, and turnover, 29 trillion versus 48 trillion in annual turnover. But historically, foreign investor participation has not matched the importance of the size of the market. The access to the market wasn't easy, and there were political concerns. So, Gene, many investors and asset allocators are still underweight China and not aware of the different types of strategies that can currently be run successfully in China. Can equity market neutral strategies, including equity quantitative market neutral strategies, be run successfully there? 
Yes, absolutely. China has delivered many market opening changes to improve global investor access since launching the Shanghai and Shenzhen exchanges in 1990. Progress in the past five to seven years has been substantial, contributing to China being added to major global benchmarks such as MSCI and FTSE's global uh, emerging market indices. There are still further measures that need to be introduced to bring China in line with global capital market standards, but investors can now implement most types of equity investment strategies, including equity quantitative market neutral strategies by accessing Chinese A shares through the programs that China has offered. Investors can potentially find profitable investment opportunities in China due to the unique market microstructure characteristics. If you had to list the most meaningful reforms China has implemented over the past 20 years or so to get us to the current level of market openness that we see, which would you mention? And we can dive into them in more detail a little bit later. Yeah, initially, there were many obstacles to investing in China, including the convertibility of the renminbi. In 2002, the Chinese QFII program uh, launch was a key milestone. It gave qualified investors access to the Chinese A shares. Previously, only domestic investors could access A shares. In 2014, Shanghai, and in 2016,、uh, the Shenzhen Connect program launches provided a channel to access Chinese A shares to a much wider range of investors, and greatly simplified all aspects of setup and execution, including the ability to short using broker inventory. In 2020, QFII reforms solved many of the issues investors had with the original. QFII and RQFII programs. What are the different channels for China equity market access that are currently available to investors? Foreign investors have a number of options to access the Chinese A share market. There's the Qualified Foreign Investor Scheme. This was formerly known under two separate but similar programs: the Qualified Foreign Institutional Investor、uh, Program, commonly known as QFII, and the Renminbi Qualified Foreign Institutional Investor Program, commonly known as RQFII. The two independent programs were merged in November of 2020, along with some major reforms to the program rules. Additionally, the Hong Kong, Shanghai, and Hong Kong Shenzhen Connect programs were launched. Additionally, there's been access granted to onshore futures.、Uh, offshore derivatives exist、uh, as well. Were foreign investors able to trade any China-listed equities prior to a qualified foreign institutional investors launch? In 1992, foreign investors were granted access to the China B share market. Before 2001, only foreign investors were allowed to invest in B shares. You know, as a result of the policy, not many strong companies chose to issue B shares,、uh, since there were fewer investors, and not as many strong companies issued B shares. Uh, not many investors invested in B shares either, so it was a marginally successful program. Let's look at the QFII and RQFII and Connect Access programs in more detail. What is the difference between QFII and RQFII? The QFII and RQFII programs were merged in 2020, as we mentioned. The channel is now known as just QFII. Prior to the merger, the two programs were separate but similar in their rules. The major difference between the QFII and the RQFII programs were QFIs needed to convert foreign currency into renminbi in order to invest in China, whereas the RQFIs had the ability to utilize offshore renminbi to invest in China. Okay. If the programs were so similar, why do you think China even introduced RQFII? It seems to add confusion and complicate a process that really should be more simple. 
Our QFI was launched in 2011 mainly to promote the internationalization of the renminbi. Additionally, our QFI is based on jurisdiction. Our QFI was restricted to investors in 19 specific countries, uh, including Hong Kong, Singapore, the U.S., and London, among others. It's a way for Chinese policymakers to offer something of uh, value in terms of market access to these countries. Could all international investors use the QFI and RQFI channels? Yeah, there was restricted access. Um, it allowed direct access to Chinese capital markets for international investors who met specific qualifications. The assets under management restriction was set at a very high level, so medium and small asset managers didn't qualify. Additionally, there was a requirement for years of incorporation that was set at a high level, so many new firms didn't qualify. China established the QFI program with the intention of attracting long-term investment and required investors to be you know, long-term and strategic in their style of investment. Hedge funds did not meet the requirements for QFI or RQFI licenses. It was a quota-based program. Each individual QFI license entitled the holder to a specified quota amount that could be invested. Uh, there was a cap on the overall quota across all combined QFIs. In 2002, the total available quota for, quota for all investors was limited to only uh, 4 billion US dollars, but expanded a number of times, increasing to 300 billion in January of 2019. Wow. So QFI and RQFI were very restrictive programs. What products could investors access through QFI and RQFI? You know, the product scope was somewhat limited. Approved products um, included domestic RMB denominated stocks, including secondary market trading, IPOs and secondary offerings, warrants, right issues, ETFs, open and closed end funds, index futures, some fixed income instruments and FX derivatives. Uh, short selling was not allowed. And for stocks, uh, QFI and RQFI accounts could trade essentially all the A shares listed in Shanghai and Shenzhen. QFI and RQFI represented a partial opening of China's equity markets to foreign investors. I can see why major international benchmark providers such as MSCI and FTSE uh, did not add China to their EM benchmarks even after QFI and RQFI were introduced. So how popular were the programs among investors who did qualify? You know, quotas were never fully utilized and only a limited number of financial institutions applied for and received their own QFI and RQFI quotas. Uh, data from uh, May of 2020 reveals that a total of 116 billion was granted to 295 QFIs, while 106 billion was granted to 230 RQFIs. Uh, the QFI and RQFI program merged in November of 2020 and is just known as QFI. How does the Connect program differ from QFI and RQFI? And can you give us some details of the Connect program? Sure. In terms of the Connect program, the Shanghai Hong Kong Stock Connect and Shenzhen Hong Kong Stock Connect programs are collaborations between the Shenzhen Stock Exchange, the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, and the Shanghai Stock Exchange, where overseas and mainland, mainland Chinese investors can trade securities in each other's markets through the trading and clearing infrastructure of their home market. So there's the northbound flow where overseas investors can transact via the Hong Kong Stock Exchange into the Chinese exchanges. And there is the southbound uh, order flow in which mainland Chinese investors uh, can buy and sell stocks on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Mm -hmm. Is the Connect program as restrictive as the QFI and RQFI programs? 
Yes and no. Uh, the Stock Connect program is open to all um, clients of the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Any investor can open an account uh, and a Hong Kong broker can use the Connect channel to trade Chinese equities. However, um, there are restrictions and uh, the entire universe of Chinese equities cannot be traded via the uh, Connect program. QFI and RQFI provided access to all A shares listed in Shanghai and Shenzhen. Is it the same with Connect? And can you discuss the Connect product scope? Sure. As I was alluding to earlier, from an eligible security perspective, as of November of last year, the Shanghai Stock Connect program covers approximately 590 stocks and represents about 86% of the stocks listed on the uh, Shanghai Stock Exchange. The Shenzhen Stock Connect program covers 846 stocks, and that's about 81% of the stocks listed in, in Shenzhen. Uh, A-shares listed um, you know, on the Shenzhen Stock Exchange uh, main board and the star market and the Shanghai Stock Exchange main board, small, medium, and Chinex boards are the only securities eligible for transaction through Stock Connect currently. So it's a, it's a large subset, but there are still securities that can't be accessed you know, via that channel. Trading is limited to the secondary market. You can't participate in IPOs via this channel. There is no trading of ETFs. There is no trading of domestic futures. And that's that's really how the restrictions break down. QFEE, RQFEE is a quota-based system. So are there any quotas on connect trading at the individual investor or market level? There are no quotas at the individual investor level. Initially, China imposed a maximum daily quota for northbound and southbound flow together with an overall maximum aggregate quota. This was to ensure currency stability and to prevent one-way flows from impacting the renminbi. The aggregate quota was abolished uh, in August of 2016 as a further market liberalization measure. Maximum daily quotas are still in place, but have increased to uh, 52 billion renminbi for Shanghai Connect and 52 billion renminbi as well for the Shenzhen Connect program. If the daily quota is exceeded during a continuous trading session or at the close, no further orders will be accepted for the remainder of the day. Investors are always allowed to place sell long orders, but buy orders may be blocked if the daily quota limit is reached. Historically, the daily quota limit was only triggered once on the first day of trading for Shanghai Stock Connect uh, in November of 2014. The QFI quota limits have been removed um, in November 2020, so it's even more unlikely that Stock Connect limits will be breached in the future. Brokers should have sufficient QFI to execute client orders. Clients can more easily get their own QFI. So for investors who didn't qualify for the QFI and RQFI programs, Connect offers China access in a meaningful way though there are some product gaps compared with QFI and RQFI. Did Connect offer any market opening measures that weren't present in the QFI and RQFI programs? Yes, international investors are able to execute equity buy and sell trades along with the necessary FX in the same day. The FX management process is essentially the same as on other international markets. The Stock Connect program solved the FX management and currency repatriation issues associated with the original QFI program, along with other advantages over QFI and RQFI. Stock Connect has become the most used channel for accessing Chinese A shares. Also from a short selling perspective, a short selling of eligible securities is allowed within the framework of Stock Connect rules,
but only viable short selling channel is through utilizing equity swaps. The Stock Connect permits margin trading, but this is typically a retail broker offering. Northbound investors usually obtain leverage via trading on equity swap with their prime brokers. So it seems like the introduction of Connect was a really important development for investors to be able to achieve market neutral portfolios. Yes, it was absolutely a breakthrough. Prior to Connect, um, you know, we would not have been able to run the, you know, very well hedged, two sided, granular portfolios that we're able to execute in China today. It's opened up the ability for people to utilize equity long short inventory at their prime brokers to, you know, achieve truly granular long short portfolios in China. Compared with developed markets, there certainly are a number of different access channels. It is complex and somewhat confusing. Why did it come about this way? Policymakers were very focused on market stability. And that's critical to understand when looking at how the Chinese market uh, financial reforms have evolved. You know, current stability was especially important to China. You know, the renminbi is a restricted currency. And what happened to you know, many Asian markets during the Asian crisis and policymakers are very focused on not losing control of financial markets, especially the currency. And that is really a, a primary policy objective for them. Their methodology so far has been to open slowly. They do not want negative surprises that impact financial markets, the economy or the society more broadly that are too big for them to control. They will continue to open incrementally you know, if new products and channels are working effectively. Programs and products can overlap in some areas and that is not a concern to China as long as there is market stability. When there are issues, China will make changes. For example, China became concerned with the impact futures were having on market stability during the 2015 market sell-off. China significantly increased future margin requirements and implemented other tightening measures. The CSI 300 future daily turnover dropped from 400 billion a day to only $4 billion a day in dollar terms and has still remained at the $4 billion level even now. China's markets definitely sound very different versus developed markets. Can you outline for us the key differences that equity investors and asset allocators need to be aware of and to better understand? Well, firstly, uh, you, know, you need to talk about the currency. It's a restricted currency and is subject to foreign exchange controls. And there is purchase and sale restrictions on the sale of RMB by residents. There's purchase and sale restrictions on renminbi by non-residents. There are restrictions and approvals required to transfer renminbi across Chinese border. Prior to February 2004, holding renminbi in offshore accounts was not permitted. In 2004, banks started offering renminbi accounts. For many international investors, the complexity of managing renminbi exposure and hedging has been a challenge. It's also an investor broker model. China has a very unique model for investors to open an account and trade domestic securities. In China, the broker only interacts with commissions and not the settlement proceeds. The CSDC acts as the central counterpart and guarantees cash and security settlements um, outside of the broker channel. There are also investor IDs. You know, what is the significance of investor IDs? Investor IDs are used by Chinese regulators to monitor investor activity. So it's not just international investors that need IDs to trade in China. Every order that's sent to the exchange is tagged with a unique client identification number or investor ID. That's true for retail investors as well as international investors. 
the investor ID is fully transparent to the exchanges in real time, which is very different from how other markets function. The brokers have complete visibility over each investor's account and are required by regulation to monitor investor activity. Also, the domestic retail investor in China is very different. You know, according to the Shanghai Stock Exchange, the Chinese equity markets are dominated by individual investors. Most recent data that we have suggests that 75% of the turnover on Chinese exchanges is via retail investors. Uh, Short-term trading and speculation are common. The turnover is pretty high. That large retail participation has been cited as one of the reasons why the markets are consistently more volatile. In fact, you know, when the data was last published in 2018, the Shanghai exchange uh, denoted that 83% of the turnover was retail and the Shenzhen Stock Exchange denoted 86% of the turnover was retail. So really very, very significant retail participation. Also, there have been in the past trading suspensions referred to as voluntary trading suspensions, but they've previously been very big problems. It was cited by MSCI as a point that needed reform before China could play a larger role in some of the global market indices that MSCI promotes. So voluntary market suspensions that are suspensions requested by the listed company and not regulatory driven have historically been higher in China compared with other equity markets globally because China had you know, a, a relaxed uh, suspension requirement regime. At its peak during the market sell-off in the summer of 2015, 1,433 of uh, the Shanghai and Shenzhen stocks were suspended from trading out of approximately a total of uh, 3,100 listings. Regulators and exchanges subsequently implemented policies to reduce the number of suspensions. They've narrowed the scenarios where suspensions could be applied for and reduced the number of days that suspensions could be valid. Policy has been effective with daily suspensions now having dropped to less than 20 in 2019. Suspensions continue to remain low, averaging around 20 per day. This is really significant because, you know, there's always been concern that um, trading suspensions could prevent companies or investors from getting their capital out of China. And that was really something that the international investor community felt was external, externally important. Additionally, um, there are some high stamp taxes and other costs. You know, in China, there's a stamp tax on sell orders of 10 basis points. You know, that applies to both QFI and Connect channels. And um, there are about uh, a basis point in exchange fees. So it's a slightly more expensive channel than other markets. My understanding is that historically, foreign investor participation in China's equity markets has mainly been long only. Is this correct? And can you explain why? That's correct. It's investor access. Prior to the Connect program, China's restricted QFI and RQFI access to only long-term strategic investors. So hedge funds and other type of investors could not receive QFI allocations. There were gaps in the program that prevented other strategies from being vi- viable. You know, going back to those days, it was there was no ability to short stock via the QFI or RQFI channel. There's an ability to do that now via the Connect channel, but the QFI channel was never, never good for that. Uh, onshore futures are now available to QFI and RQFI clients for, you know, very limited use. Uh, they didn't require, they didn't allow them for active hedging that would typically be required for quant and other hedge fund strategies. You know, and there's no day trading. A stock that's purchased can't be sold until the following day. So you can't buy and sell a stock on the same day under the current regulations. You know, until recently, equity market neutral strategies and quantitative equity market neutral strategies 
have been employed in the Chinese market to only a very limited extent relative to how international investors would have embraced market neutral equity investing elsewhere in the world. I know you've already touched upon the major reforms that are part of the evolution of the China stock market and have brought us to the point where for the past three to five years, investors are able to deploy market neutral strategies. Can you discuss what makes China an attractive market for equity quantitative market neutral strategies? And what are the key features that differentiate the China opportunity versus other developed markets where the playing field is extremely competitive? Sure, we can discuss China's unique market microstructure along with some other key points to explain why China is you know, potentially very good for uh, equity quant and market neutral strategies. First point is that retail investors dominate the Chinese equity markets. There's also, you know, extraordinarily market breadth from both a sector and industry perspective and depth. There's significant turnover onshore. There's an ability to short with an increasingly large universe of securities that can be shorted. There's also very high turnover versus other markets. The daily market cap turnover velocity is approximately you know, 1.6% for the uh, Shanghai Stock Exchange and 2.1% for the Shenzhen Stock Exchange. You know, compare that to Japan, which is about, uh, you know, 72 basis points and Australia is 66 basis points. And Hong Kong is approximately a percent of market cap. So it's a high volume, high velocity market. Also, maybe because of the large participation from retail, bid offer spreads are on the lower end. Uh, it's approximately eight basis points for Shanghai and six basis points for Shenzhen. And the interesting thing about the market, the bid offer spread in China is that it remains stable even when volatility picks up. You know, uh, bid offer spreads widen slightly, but liquidity tends to increase during these periods. In most other developed markets, including the United States, when volatility goes up, bid offer spreads tend to widen. Also, there is, um, maybe because of the, the high retail participation in the market, the closing auctions only account for about 1% of daily volume, you know, where that's, you know, significantly higher uh, in international markets. Well, has the dominance of retail flow changed at all since China has been added to the major global benchmark indices such as MSCI and FTSE? We would expect to see the percentage of institutional flow increasing due to foreign flows increasing. China markets are gradually becoming more institutionalized from two main drivers. Uh, as the flows increase in importance, they will impact the market microstructure over time. In terms of foreign investor participation, in 2017, Connect Northbound investor ownership was just 1%. By late last year, foreign investors owned an estimated 290 billion of A shares, representing 9% of the free float market capitalization. Foreign investor appetite has increased for Chinese A shares due in part to inclusions in the major benchmarks by MSCI and FTSE. And that is also caused in part by how easy the Connect channel has made it to transact there. Also, domestic mutual fund participation is growing. It's increased from 10% to 30% of A share free float over the last five years. Uh, but for now, retail flows still dominate China. Well, that was very informative, Gene. The markets in Asia are really complex and that only covered China. Well, that's all the time we have. I'd like to thank our listeners and we look forward to covering more topics in the future. Gene, thanks again. That's great. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time.